0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. Uh, I am your host, Rob Clark, along with our co-host, Ed Katz. Ed, how you doing?
1: Good morning, Rob Clark. I'm doing great. Hello, listeners.
0: Well, Ed, we're, we're jumping into another topic that uh, I think people, when they see the title of this episode, are going to be eager to hear what we have to say, more specifically what you have to say, sharing your knowledge. The title of, of podcast episode 12 is How to Close the Deal and Book the Lead." I mean, ultimately, that's what we all want to do, right? It's about going out and booking business. So you've got some secrets you're going to share.
1: I don't know if they're secrets. I have my real life experience from that terrible, terrible school, Hard Knocks. But I'm glad to share them. You know
0: me. Hard Knocks. That, that's a school that teaches some tough lessons, it sounds like. Yeah, you're telling me. (laughs) All right, so let's jump in, Ed. Um, The title's pretty straightforward, right? How to Close a Deal and Book the Move. How did you close the deal and book the move? Did you do it on the spot? or Is that typical?
1: Yeah, I believe in the moving industry specifically. Very few deals are booked on the spot for the first encounter. In other words, if you have a prospect that you've never moved before and you make your sales presentation. I am, I'd be very surprised if very many deals are booked on the spot. I mean, from my own personal experience, my goodness gracious, in the 24 years that I had my moving company, Peachtree Movers in Atlanta, uh, we did more than 50,000 local office moves over that 24 year period. And I could probably count on one hand the number of times we booked a move on the spot. They always used to say, well, yeah, we're going to think about it or we'll get back to you or we want to review it. But they didn't, no matter how much pressure I put on them, they didn't. They didn't most 99% of the time, they, they didn't say, oh, you got the move.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, in, in my experience, the same thing has has happened. I, I don't typically book it on the spot. I will say there have been some times I walk out of an appointment and go, oh, man, I feel really good about that one, but uh, still didn't book it on the spot. So does that mean that, uh, you know, the question that comes to my mind is a lot of times you think about um, salespeople trying to put that pressure on the client, you know, trying to get them to make the decision you didn't put any pressure on them to give you the move on the spot? Were you comfortable in letting them kind of, you know, go through and, and look at everything that you provided and then make that decision later?
1: No, I definitely put pressure on them.
0: And um,
1: I did it by using a differentiator. That's what I did. I used a differentiator to put pressure on them. And here's how I did it. You know, I I, I don't know if our listeners know this, but, because we have created customers who are monsters, we created the monsters because the average customer thinks that we always have fifty trained professional experienced movers sitting in our warehouse, waiting for the call, that okay, you got the move. let's let's suit you know suit up and go out. They, that's the impression we give them because so many moving companies give the impression that they're never at capacity they have unlimited resources so i took that myth (laughs) that perception and i used it as a differentiator and what i would say for a move i really wanted to book and put pressure on them i didn't say it all the time there were times i didn't but i would say unlike our competition we book on a first come first serve basis. Sorry about that. (laughs) Let me repeat that. So unlike our competition, we book our moves on a first come first serve basis. And I'm honest with them. I had a limited number of trained, professional, experienced movers. And once we were at capacity, We did not overbook. That was another differentiator. We didn't just pick people up off the street, put a uniform on them, send them out to do the job, OJT, on-the-job training, to learn how to do the move at the customer's expense. And if we were like the other movers and we had unlimited capacity and we sent out men that had no training or experience, then all the jobs would suffer. So we have a finite number of resources that we're going to reserve for you and I'm not talking about the rolling stock like the dollies I'm not talking about the trucks we know we can rent equipment we're talking about our precious labor asset our precious labor resource and once we are at that limit you know we have to we have to close our doors you know something this really worked because we sometimes would book moves 2 3 months in advance there was an, a, a very large advertising agency that was moving into two floors top floors top two floors of a high rise building in downtown atlanta they booked their move with us a year in advance now the date kept changing as they got closer to the move date but they actually scheduled us signed our contract a year before we moved them can you believe that
0: I, I can depending on the size of that project, absolutely. So anyhow. well, here here's my question. when you Ed, when you put the pressure on like that, um, and, and we talked at the beginning that you know neither one of us typically haven't booked a move on the spot uh, in the commercial arena. And do you think that's because ultimately we're not dealing with the decision maker?
1: That's a great question. Many times I did deal with the decision maker, and you do too. And I'll tell you why. I have learned over the years the supplier of information is often the decision maker. And in other words, we had a lady, let me give you another example in another industry insurance. I don't like insurance, I don't like it at all, but I had to have insurance to be in operation with my moving company. So we had a lady who handled all the solicitation of the bids from insurance companies. And I'll never forget this, every year she'd come into my office. Do you think for one moment I sat in on the interviews of the insurance agents representing the carriers? Hell no, I could care less about insurance. It was a necessary evil. So this poor lady, her job was to solicit the bids, interview the agents, make a recommendation. But she was the supplier of information. And 100% of the time, when she would come to me and say, well, I we got three or four or five bids from these different insurance agencies and these different carriers. But in my opinion, Mr. Katz, I would feel more comfortable working with, and she named the name of the agency, of the time, I would go with her recommendation. So it's the same thing with soliciting bids for office moves. You may not be talking to the ultimate decision maker, but that person who is talking to you is not just an information gatherer. That person many times may be responsible.
0: Huge, Huge influencer.
1: Yeah, right. And if they say, I feel more comfortable with this mover instead of that one, or I think this one is going to give us more benefit for, you know, what we have or whatever the reason, you know, you have people that you trust who gather information. And uh, let me tell you something. I, I hate to tell our listeners this. You think insurance is boring? Moving is really boring. You know, it's traumatic, it's disruptive, it's unsettling, and our whole pitch was we're going to minimize the trauma. But that's my point. A lot of times you don't get to deal with the ultimate decision maker, but the supplier of information really has a lot of influence. So I don't worry about that.
0: No, and I agree, and, and and getting an idea of how your rapport was with that person was always a, is always a huge indicator for me on whether I feel like I have a really good shot at booking that business or not. Because I know that they're ultimately going to go to the person that's going to say, yeah, go ahead and do it and sell the their case for, for selecting us for the reasons that, you know, we outline and what we present to them. So my question is this, Ed, did you pressure every prospect the same way trying to get their move using the, you know, we we, we you know first come, first serve basis of booking business?
1: Well, I'll bet our listeners are not gonna like the answer I give them. Oh, <laughs> we did not pressure every prospect with a close. So if I had a move that I bid on that was going five hours Friday evening, let's say from 6 p.m. to 11, eight hours Saturday, 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and eight or nine hours Sunday, you know, eight till five on Sunday. That's when I use the pressure of, unlike our competition, we book on a first come first serve basis. However, the prospect who said to me before I went out to bid on his or her job, I'm going to just use his and be politically incorrect again. His means his or hers, he or she, you got it listeners. But anyhow, that aside, um, Let's say that uh, a guy called up and said, Hey, uh, don't even come out unless you're available August 31st, which is a Saturday. So I go out and I do the estimate and it's six men, three trucks for five hours. There is no way that I'm going to pressure that person with a close that says, you know, unlike our competition, we book on a first-come, first-served basis. I don't want to book that move months in advance. I don't want to tie up my drivers and my supervisor on a marginally profitable move. Now, the other job I referred to this Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday, it's a van rotation. It's a shuttle. we got 25 guys and four trucks doing a round-robin. It's maybe a, I don't know, 20, dollars $25,000 move. This Yahoo!, you know, don't come out unless you're available, you know. So anyhow, we don't hit that person with the clothes. And we say nothing. I want him to call the week of the move and say, you got the move. And then I'll go from there.
0: <laughs> I, I think that's great information for for the listeners because that's, that's brilliant to do it that way, to manage your resources uh, as best you can and the profitability of your jobs. So makes yeah, but it, sense.
1: I, I, I get pushback from salespeople because they say that's nice for you to say, Ed Katz, but our livelihood depends upon commissions and you're taking money out of our pocket. And yeah, but we got to be altruistic. You know, what's best for the company? And by the way, because we book these small moves, now we can't book your big move that was going to go. Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday, because we've used up our supervisors and our experienced people. You can't have it both ways. And, and that's- well, Let me
0: ask you a question. Do you think that what you just described, described from uh, salespeople, do you think that's a, a younger salesperson in the industry? Because to me, I think more of the, you know, established veterans in the industry understand exactly what you just said.
1: I don't have an answer to that question. I don't think it, it cuts across age. I mean, I think there, I don't have the answer. When I I say
0: younger, I don't mean necessarily age wise, but experience in the industry, because to me as a salesperson, I want to make sure that every time I get an opportunity to book a business, I'm booking the the most profitable, profitable business for me as a salesperson as well. So having the opportunity to book a one really large move that's going to be more profitable to me versus two to three smaller moves that are going to, you know, it's that, you know, work smarter, not harder, right? So yeah. one move to manage seems to make more sense than three moves that pay you less.
1: All that I can tell you is when I used to teach my seminar in person, and I would discuss what I just said to you, I got pushback from my sales people in cross the board, cross the board. They all okay. ages. They said, and that, and that's where I came up with You know, you're taking money out of our pockets, but I, you know, it is what it is. So you, you have to have control over your sales force. If you agree with this business model and not waste your resources on marginally profitable business, so that it's going to hurt your capacity.
0: You know, that might be an episode coming up on, you know, uh, well, and maybe, maybe not, maybe tied into here, but I'll just ask a question. And you tell me, do you then try to position those types of moves during the week so that you uh, free up your weekend?
1: That's a great question. Well, here's how we handle it. So the guy who said, don't even come out and give us an estimate. If you're not available the last Saturday of the month, August 31st, in my hypothetical example, right? so we don't put pressure on him and he waits till about 10 days before his move and he calls us up and says you're the lucky winner you got our move you know six men three trucks five hours
0: see you saturday
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes and i say "Gosh, i am so sorry we are booked solid august 31st now think about this for a second if he goes into orbit and starts screaming and yelling at me i told you not to come out unless you were available i think to myself you yahoo you got five other bids along with ours and you wanted me to reserve our precious resources for you and sit by the phone in the hope that you're going to call us where's the logic but again we create these monsters we create these types of customers so what i did in my sweet saccharine I'd say I am so sorry, but your move is so small. We could do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday evening from 6 p.m. until 11, or depending upon what kind of building. If it's a single-story building, we could start at 4 in the afternoon or 5 in the afternoon and go till 11. And that way you don't have to give up your weekend. Most, Most customers were agreeable to that. For some reason, though, the perception from that I always saw, everybody wanted to move on the same day, Saturday morning at 9 a.m., for some reason in everybody's mind. And when we would do estimates, most of the time, if it were two or three truckloads, we would say to our prospects, why do you want to give up your weekend. We could do this move on a weekday evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday evening. Notice I didn't say Friday, because I want to save Friday for the big van rotation shuttle moves that go Friday evening, Saturday, or Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday. And so I open up their mind and their eyes to the possibility, hey, it's going to be a more efficient move, and you don't have to give up your weekend, and we can do it, you know, during the week in the evening, how does that sound? Most of them were agreeable. Every once in a while, you'd have this Yahoo guy, like I just gave my example where they'd be yelling at me and, you know, it's, it's so logical though. But again, we, we we're in an industry that, you know, we encourage our customers to take advantage of us. And we talked about this before in an earlier podcast, you know, customer says jump and our response is how high. Well, mm -mm. (laughs) not not with my business model.
0: No, and I agree with you. I I found in my experience as well that most clients, um, when we can explain to them that we can do it in one night during the week, when that move is that that small, um, typically are more than happy to to do that. You know, the first the first thought they have is that you know we work all week, we need to do it on a weekend, Saturday or Sunday. Uh, A lot of times clients with these smaller moves didn't even realize that we would be willing and capable of coming out on a weeknight after they've closed shop. You're already there. Let us start. We'll finish. And the biggest point was exactly what you said. When you dangle that, your weekend doesn't get tied up with a move. Most people love that. I mean, they don't want to give up a Saturday. They'd rather give up a Wednesday night.
1: I agree. I agree 100%. Okay, I do I have... Go ahead. No, you go I don't mean to put you on the spot, but related to all this, I guess we're, I'm asking you this next question and, okay. and asking our listeners too. When you got the move and you got your contract signed, did you normally ask for a deposit?
0: Ask for a deposit from the client? Yes. I don't know if you're going to like my answer, Ed. Well... What, what is it? (laughs) Absolutely. And different clients had different kind of requirements for what the deposit needed to be.
1: Well, let me tell you two things. When I taught my in-person seminar, I would tell you that 99% of my attendees in the seminar, and I've taught probably more than 3000, you know, students over the, years, you know, with my in-person seminar, so I'm talking about a lot of representatives here. 99% of them did not ask for a deposit, so I, you are unique, and now, I have to be honest with you, when we booked a move for Travelers, or General, General Electric, or Rockwell, there's no way in heck they were going to give us a deposit. However, they did give us a purchase order, which I felt was as good as a deposit, but for You know, the other companies that we bid on, we would say in order for our, you know, in order for us to reserve our precious resources for you, we normally get a 50% deposit up front. And I'll be honest with you. We rarely got 50%, but we would get a percentage, you know, 10, 20, 30%. And that, I felt, helped lock that customer into us how do you feel about that
0: i totally agree now i'm obviously i've taken your class many times your seminar and i'm a big believer in what you practice and what you teach us so absolutely but i'll tell you this ed you know when you make the comment that a lot of times you didn't get that 50 percent, i've really never had an issue or pushback with asking for 50 percent. and here's how i do it i'll just share this with you uh, at our company, me specifically, we uh, whenever I book a move, my rule is if the cost of the move is five thousand dollars or less, must be paid in full prior to Wow, the wow, if it's five thousand dollars five thousand and one dollars or more, it can be paid fifty percent down, and then the remaining fifty percent is due ten days after services have been rendered. My ten goodness. days is on our invoice. Now do you think companies pay in 10 days? No, we know they like to pay in 30 or 60, but having it on the invoice that we've, we're a small business, you know, cash flow is important. We've got to pay our guys on a weekly basis. We can't wait to pay them in 30 days when the move gets done. So most companies we find in the Houston market don't seem to have a big issue with that.
1: Well, your market was certainly different than ours in Atlanta. I'm embarrassed to tell you, we did nearly $4 million a year in local office moving. That's all we did and our line of credit was, it averaged five to $600,000. That line of credit was the fund, our receivables is what it was. That was not in our pockets at the time. And of course we paid like 2% above prime. Well, prime was not where it is today. Prime was probably 7% back in the days on average. That meant we were paying 9% interest on an annualized basis on five or six hundred thousand dollars, that's not chump change right, but that's because it would have been it would have been worse if we didn't get a deposit, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Let me but, ask you this: is it bad practice um or is it acceptable that you may change your your payment requirements? Uh, based on the type of client you're 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 dealing with. I won't name any specific industry or type of client, but uh, you know, there were certain types of clients that if I were dealing with them, it might be a hundred percent needs to be paid up front before I commit to anything, you know, with you.
1: Yeah. I have to, well, I hate to give salespeople the discretion of deciding how much we're gonna ask for Up front, I like your benchmark 5,000 or less. They got to pay 100% up front, 5,000 or more, or over 5,000, 50% down. When you allow a salesperson who wants to be liked and loved by the customer to make that call, you're going to, I think, you're going to find they most of the time, or they're not like you, most of the time, they're going to ask for a lower deposit or none at all if you give them that discretion. Well, I wouldn't
0: give them that discretion. I would just have it as a policy within the company that know your client. If we're dealing with somebody in this arena, then here's the the payment terms. If we're dealing with somebody in this arena, here's the payment terms. Kind of a it's a little bit of a moving target, but I as a small business, it's a way to try to protect ourselves when dealing with certain types of clients.
1: Right. Let me Let me give you another real-life example I had. I'm going to ask you how you would have handled this. Related to the deposit is our contract. And we never moved anybody without them signing our contract, 100%. I mean, that was set in stone. If they didn't sign our, what we called, order for service up front, nothing happened. So Monday morning, we got a call from... A prospect who said, Our building manager highly recommended your company and we have an emergency move coming up. We have to be out Wednesday evening of the same week. So, like a little bit of a red flag goes up in my mind and I'm thinking, hmm, okay. So, we send our sales, one of our salespeople out to estimate the job and it was, you know, probably a four or $5,000 move on a Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. until 11 p.m and he gave them we used to do our estimate believe it or not on the spot we carried a laptop computer with us we were really ahead of the curve this is back probably around 1992 and uh, we gave him the estimate on the spot he said looks good and all that Uh, and he told us about that same day on monday that you got the move so then my salesperson was charged with the responsibility our sales people were were charged with the responsibility of getting that contract signed and, you know, and, or getting a a deposit. So all of a sudden this guy who gave us the move and wanted us to deliver packing material out early Tuesday morning is now M I a, he's always in a meeting or he's on a phone call. And my salesperson is having trouble tracking him down to get our order for service signed. And by the way, his, assistant or his employees are calling us hey we need packing material we're you know we're moving tomorrow night and we need to start packing and my salesperson asked me how we should handle it and I said what's our policy and he said I know Mr. Katz but you know that's why you know, <laughs> that does that not sound like a salesperson sure you know But this guy, he really needs his packing material and they keep calling us and he's just a real busy guy because this move just came upon him and all that. So now it's one o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. And so finally, I make the call and I say to his assistant, we are planning your move for tomorrow evening. We do our schedule for the next day This afternoon, like in about an hour, if we don't have the signed order for service, our contract, in our possession, by two thirty this afternoon, we're not moving you. Now this is before email. This is before what is that called? Docu. Well, how do you you know you sign over the internet with Docu? Or
0: what is it? I, I call it DocuSign. What, DocuSign, yeah. right? So this
1: is way before DocuSign. This is back in the dark ages. But anyhow, my point I'm trying to make is, he it was his responsibility to get us that signed contract before two thirty that afternoon. So now it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I make one more call, and I do get his voice message and voicemail. And I tell him this is the confirm. I'm Ed Katz. I'm the owner. We are not moving you tomorrow. And then I sent a courier out from my office to this guy's office that had it in writing. This is to confirm we are not moving you Wednesday evening, whenever the date was. So I found out a week later from the building manager. I don't know how I happened to be talking to that, his building manager. I said, you know, were you aware of the move uh, that, we were supposed to do last Wednesday evening. And he said, oh, I didn't know you were involved in that. And I said, yeah. He said, you recommended our service to him. He said, no, I wouldn't do that to you, Ed. Or actually, I was back in those days. I wouldn't do that to you, Eddie. He said, we evicted the son of a bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow.
1: And he had to be out Wednesday evening. And I, he, he says, I think it was one of your competitors. I'm sure it was one of your competitors that, that moved him. I knew you wouldn't move him, a guy like that. You, that they're going to be lucky to get, get paid because we he, he wasn't paying. His, he was in arrears in his, in his rent. And that's why
0: you know we evicted him. That was my first thought as you're telling the story is, if it's this hard to get him to sign to commit to your services, how hard is it going to be to collect the money? Right. That was my first thought going through Yes, yes, yes. And related to this topic, how to close the deal and book the move, I have one final question for you, Ed Katz. No, I didn't
1: answer the other one, so I hope I do better on this one.
0: You answered it perfectly. Okay. Uh, Does it make a difference in your technique to close the deal if, say, the client's getting three bids and whether you're first in, second in, or last in, and do you have a preference?
1: You know something. I think one of the reasons I was great at sales was I was terrible at reading body language, and I never worried about the minutiae of first, second, or third, okay. or fourth, or fifth bidder. So as long as somebody's smiling at me, I think they like me, and I keep flapping my jaw. And they may hate me and are have already chosen another mover, but it sails right over my head. You yeah. know. So long as somebody is smiling, I think, hey, I have a shot at this, and I never ask that question, which so many salespeople in our industry ask: Are you getting any other bids, or I want to be the last bidder, or you know, whatever. As I said, what uh, well, I know I, the industry, I'm sorry.
0: I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't. To me, it doesn't make a difference. the The way you differentiate yourself, whether you're first or last, is going to be what they they're either going to remember you if you're first or they're going to remember you if you last based on, you know, how you differentiate yourself, your services, your detail, you're paying attention to detail and things like that. So I was just wondering if we were yeah. on the same page and it sounds like we are.
1: No, I'm going to, it's funny how, as we talk, I hope I'm not running past our time. Aren't
0: are we? You're good.
1: Okay. It's, we, um, we had a proprietary valet box. We called it. It was looked like a suitcase made out of cardboard that, you, you didn't tape you just folded it together and had a handle for their personal belongings you know their their pens their pencils their pictures of their loved ones their
0: favorite coffee cup yeah. their
1: favorite coffee cup their their the we would call it you know the bric-a-brac they would hand carry home hand carry to work the next working day and one of our prospects said oh we you were so highly recommended by both building managers and we are predisposed to use your service but you know, that that Valley briefcase box you've just showed me, if you'll leave it behind, I want to show it to my boss who's out of town and um, he's coming back tomorrow. And I'm sure once he sees your valet briefcase box, you're going to get the move. Would you will you leave that behind? Do you think we left that valet briefcase box behind? I hope not. Hell no, we did not. You know why? How do I know? See, this is what happens when you live in New York. You become cynical. You don't trust the motivation (laughs) of anybody. But anyhow, I did serve four years in New York. And um, what went through my mind is they have a friend who works for a moving company. And that friend wanted to get his or her hands on my valet briefcase box so they could differentiate their service the way we differentiated our service. We were the only mover that had this user-friendly hand with a handle, you know, tote for carrying the personal items home and to work and all that. And I didn't trust them. So here's what I said. Well, I would like to leave it behind, but our company policy, see, I didn't want to make it personal. Our company policy is that because this is of a proprietary nature, that we are the only ones in Atlanta that use it, we can't leave it behind. But I have something better to offer you. I will personally come back with the valet briefcase box tomorrow to meet with your big boss, to show your boss this valet briefcase box. How does that sound? And I remember my contact saying, well, that's not necessary. I'm sure that um, uh, he'll understand when I describe it to him. By the way, we did not get that move.
0: Yeah, of so, course not. I,
1: well, you know, again, it just goes to prove we wouldn't leave anything behind that was proprietary
0: ever. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, absolutely. You got to protect yourself.
1: Yep. And I used to say it's proprietary, it's proprietary, it's proprietary. And they got it. They understood that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ed, this has been a great, uh, as usual, another fun podcast, great information. And, uh, you know, how to close a deal and book the move, I think... Uh, this topic will uh, intrigue a lot of people. And I think the answers that you gave and the information you provided will be great in them and maybe uh, upping their game on how to close a deal.
1: I hope so. I hope, I hope our listeners had as much fun as I did talking the whole time.
0: <laughs> Ed, thanks so much for joining fun as usual. Thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the commercial relocation happy hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move.